Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, January 31st, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book, Chapter 8, To the Wives, and we will be beginning on page 112, the third the third paragraph that begins, suppose, however, that your husband fits the description of number two. The reference number for yesterday, which was Wednesday, January 30th, is 3782. 3782. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I'd now like to ask Anne to please read the 12 steps. Hi, good morning. My name is Anne. I'm a compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admit that we are powerless over food, that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Uh, thank you. I pass. Thank you, Anne. I'd now like to ask Margaret to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, Vision, for you. Um, this is Margaret, compulsive overeater in Illinois. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, There is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. 
three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OAS ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. NCOA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book and we are in chapter 8 to the wives on page 112 beginning with the paragraph, suppose however that your husband fits the description of number 2. And today Katie will start us out. Thank you Katie. Good morning everyone. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater. Suppose, however, that your husband fits the description of number two. The same principles which apply to husband number one should be practiced. But after his next binge, ask him if he would really like to get over drinking for good. Do not ask that he do it for you or for anyone else. Just would he like to. The chances are he would. Show him your copy of this book and tell him what you have found out about alcoholism. Show him that as alcoholics, the writers of the book understand. Tell him some of the interesting stories you have read. If you think he will be shy of a spiritual remedy, ask him to look at the chapter on alcoholism. Then perhaps he will be interested enough to continue. <clears throat> and just to remind you, if you uh, that husband number two is showing lack of control for he's unable to stay on the water wagon even when he wants to. Um, and, you know, when someone's at this point, 
you know, right after the binge is the best time to say, you know, um, hello, what is going on here? You may want to look at yourself. But um, this is saying, you know, the last person that they probably want to hear that from is the person who is able to keep and control themselves. Um, you know, my mother, I was single when I got absent, and I wanted nothing. I, I didn't want to hear anything from people who had no idea what it was like to live in my body. Um, but I was willing to listen to people that were in the room. And so that's what this is guiding um, you to, is to showing them the big book and showing them, um, you know, that a spouse or a significant other should be directing them to the rooms where they can meet people who have been just like them because, you know, I never, I always felt like I was taking my clothes off in public when I tried to talk to even a priest or um, a counselor because it just, it's not the same as talking to another recovered person. Um, And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? Press star one to unmute. It's Monica. Go ahead, Monica. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, everybody. My name is Monica. I'm covered compulsive overeater. Um, suppose, however, that your husband fits the description of number two. The same principles which apply to husband number one should be practiced. And I just wanted to review what these principles are that they've been talking about so far. And number one, never be angry. Two, be patient. Three, never tell him what he must do. Number four, put yourself in his place. And number five, tell him that you have been worried about him. And um, and then it says, you know, it goes on to say about showing him a copy of the book if he, if he would like to, if he would like to, you know, and telling him a little bit about it and then letting it, then, and then it's in his, his ballpark and see what happens from there. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Well, this is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. And I'd like to comment on this, on these two paragraphs, too. You know, we're talking about the real alcoholic. You know, he's getting to that point, this husband number two, where he knows he has a problem, where he's starting to want to moderate and change things himself. But it's all based on self-will. You know, it's all based on self-will. He's He's looking for some comfort, some protection, some buffer between what's becoming a problem in his own mind. You know, he wants to want to stop, but he's starting to get some inklings that he cannot, that he cannot. You know, his business may be suffering a little bit. He may be worried. He may have some inklings that he can't drink like other people, it says. And I don't know about you, but I've been in that spot. You know, trying to moderate. Each time, somehow my brain would tell me this time it'll be different, but it wasn't different. This time I'll be able to have just one, but I couldn't have just one. And it's a good place to be. You know, it's a good place to be because it's the beginning of a new way of thinking. 
when you get so miserable and you, and you know you want to stop, and you might even be starting to talk about it. He tells you he wants to stop, reset. He tries to hold his nervousness in check, but you know it's at that place where he's starting to hold, like holding your breath underwater, where you can't moderate for very long, and you start to want to stop. You know, and, that, and in that place, it's saying to the wife, you know, you may have read this book and he has not yet. And you can start to talk to him about it because he's starting to talk to you about it. And you may say, I read this book and I, I learned some things. There's some interesting stories in it. You know, show him the copy of the book. Tell him what you have found out about alcoholism. But what you're not doing it says, is you're not saying, oh, if you loved me, if you loved the kids, you'd stop. You'd stop. You'd do it for us. Because I don't know about you, but that never worked for me. That never worked for me. And as Katie said, you know, another alcoholic, another recovered alcoholic is the one I was willing to listen to. You know, it's the one I was willing to listen to. And this is opening the door. If he sees the book, he knows there are others like him out there, and it might just open the door to a talk with them. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? This is Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. This is such great instruction. You know, and I love the consistency. I love the consistency of the big book. Because these directions are very similar to the directions we saw in working with others. You know, so who is um, husband number two? It says there he wants to want to stop. So he's starting to feel those consequences. He's starting to recognize that drinking is a problem. So he wants to want to stop, but he's not quite desperate yet. So what does it say? It says, after his next binge, ask him if he would really like to get over drinking for good. And what does it tell us in working with others? Ask them if they're lit, if they are done forever. You know, and so many of us, yeah, we're done for a certain amount of time. I'm done until I lose this 40 pounds. I'm done until my daughter's wedding. I'm done until my high school, my high school reunion. But the saying here, you know, and it's after his next binge. So not while he's drunk. You know, an alcoholic in his cups is an ugly creature. So wait till they have that lucid moment and then ask them, Ask him if he would really like to get over drinking for good. Because if he's not, then he's not ready. Because if he's doing it for the wife, if he's doing it for the children, if he's doing it to save his job, he's not ready. Because he needs to be quit for good. And I love this. If you think he will be shy of a spiritual remedy, ask him to look at the chapter on alcoholism. And why is that? Because step one is a cornerstone. Step one, until we know we're powerless, why do we care about a higher power? If we still think we can do this ourselves, why would we care about a higher power? So it's telling the wife, until he understands that he is an alcoholic, that he has an allergy of the body that condemns him to eat, a get over, to drink over and over once he picks it up. And more insidiously, he's got this obsession of the mind, even when he gets that willpower to put it down, that's going to tell him to go back over and over. So until he knows and pays powerless, don't even talk about guys. Don't even mention that. 
Because until he is desperate, he's not going to look for that higher power. So what beautiful instructions and also how consistent the big book is. So I don't not only read this as what I have done to my family, but I also find there's very good instructions in here once again about when I'm approaching the newcomer. Is he, is he in the stage one, two, three, or four? And then there's clear-cut directions about how to approach that person. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? All right, then we'll move on to the next paragraph. And Robin, if you would read that for us. Okay, now can you hear me? No, I can hear you, Robin. Okay, this is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater. New phones. Um, okay. Let's see. If he is enthusiastic. Okay, if he is enthusiastic, your cooperation will mean... Oh, this is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater. If he is enthusiastic, your cooperation will mean a great deal. If he is lukewarm or thinks he's not an alcoholic, we suggest you leave him alone. Avoid urging him to follow our program. The seed has been planted in his mind. He knows that thousands of men, much like himself, have recovered. But don't remind him of this after he has been drinking, for he may be angry. Sooner or later, you are likely to find him reading the book once more. Wait until repeated stumbling convinces him he must act, for the more you hurry him, the longer his recovery may be delayed. Well, I see a lot in here about working with others. Um, you know, first of all, I see myself here that I was so not willing to listen to what anybody else had to say to me until I was ready, until I until I wanted this rather than needing it. And that was one of the criteria I heard when I came in, that this is a program for people who want it, not people who need it. Uh, many people around me uh, understood long before I did that I needed it. And um, until until I was ready to, uh, until I got to the point where doing what this program requires of me looked easier than living the way I was living, until I got to that point, there was no way I was ready to jump off and do the simple things, you know, the, a few simple things that this this program required of me. Um, but working with others, I see a lot in here about how to sponsor, how to talk to a newcomer, um, because very often people will come in and want to want it, and that is a very that's a, that's an important place to be. And what I've learned is that it's a respectful thing to allow people to have that instead of trying to push them to the point where you know they're going to jump off. But we all have our own point where our higher power is ready to move into our lives. We all have our own point where we're ready to surrender. And until I get there, I'm not ready to do all of this. Until you get there, you're not going to be ready to do all of this. So for me, as somebody looking into somebody else's life, wanting to help, being willing to help, um, the, the, the most helpful thing I can do sometimes is to allow somebody else their process and to recognize that they have their own process and that God is in charge of it, not me. Um, what I've heard happen frequently in our meetings is that people will come to our meetings 
listen to what we have to say, walk away, and come back in a year or two months or maybe even two years. Um, but what I've also heard is, you know, that we spoil people's eating. <laughs> the once you once you get a a, um, a real message of what this book, the hope in this in this book, um, it's really hard to go back out there and eat again with the same kind of abandon that you know we have at one point in time. But when you know that there's an answer, all of a sudden it's a little bit harder to go out and eat out of self pity or eat out of um, you know, some misguided belief that the world has made us do it. So letting this book do its work, um, you know, talking to somebody about what's in this book, talking to them about the program that I have is, you know, allows me to back off and let somebody else have their process and move on to the next person if I feel that that person isn't quite ready because we all get to have our bottoms and what a respectful thing that is to allow somebody else to have their bottom. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula Mascia. Go ahead, Paula. Thank you. I'm going to scoot right on to this line here. The seed has been planted in his mind. So it seems that this wife's part has been done. And like a seed, I don't know what it takes to start growing. You've given it what it needs here. Now the rest you've done your part is up to God and up to this man. But you know, I walk sometimes with my granddaughter and she sees a flower ready to bloom and she wants to look inside. She wants to see the full thing. We all do. But we can't do that. We destroy it then. We destroy it. You can't hurry it along in its growth process, nor could yours be. But she has her part, and that's what her part was. And then we see things here. We see this this seed germinated. Hmm. He knows that thousands of men like himself have recovered. Whoa. Now, there's there's something to attain, but don't remind him of this after he has been drinking, for he may be angry. Ah, there we are, trying to get that seed to grow a little faster. It will grow in its own time. And what does it say? Sooner or later, you're likely to find him reading the book once more. I don't know what the sooner is, and I don't know what the later is. I know only for myself. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Good morning, it's Leah. Good morning, Leah. Hey, hey, Janice. Good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, If he is lukewarm or thinks he's not an alcoholic, we suggest you leave him alone. Avoid urging him to follow our program. I mean, here's over 100 men and women who are recovered. They are now ex-problem drinkers. They spend all day and night uh, helping the drunks out of the gutter, and here they are instructing the wife that if your hubby over there (laughs) thinks he's not an alcoholic, we suggest you leave him alone. Avoid urging him to follow our program. Don't, Don't tell him about the program. Because willingness is a one-person job. It's born from pain. 
excruciating pain. You know, so <laughs> they're just, they're, uh, it's, it's uh, a theme that's repeated often, you know, in our text when it says, we don't like to, you know, declare or pronounce anyone an alcoholic. But you can quickly diagnose yourself, step into the nearest bar room and try some controlled drinking. Try it more than once. Try it more than once because it will not take long for you to decide and it's worth a bad case of jitters if you get a full knowledge of your condition. Pain drives us here. And if we leave, pain will drive us back if we're lucky enough. You know, and and that's the reality, and that's the reality that you're dealing with someone, uh, you know, who has no enthusiasm to pursue recovery, and that's called addiction. You know, what other disease can you think of where we have no, the person has no enthusiasm for recovery? There is no other disease like it. The person who has cancer, he's waiting for his uh, chemo and radiation appointment. Now, the person who has AIDS seeks treatment. I mean... People seek treatment. They are aggressive. They want to live. They, they follow orders, but not addiction, not addiction. We have no enthusiasm to pursue recovery. In fact, we'll argue about it. So it says, wait until repeated stumbling, stumbling convinces him he must act, for the more you hurry him, the longer his recovery may be delayed. Again, willingness is a one-person job because there's nothing like a head full of OA and a belly full of food. Let them continue to eat themselves into oblivion. Let them continue to feel the pain. Let them continue to have that vice of addiction close in on them tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. Because the nature of the beast is that pain is the greatest motivator to effectuate change. That is the reality of our situation. That's the reality of our situation. Because compulsive overeaters of my type, when spoken to, <laughs> you know, uh, they, they persist despite all the evidence and despite the career of compulsive overeating. I don't need to do those things. I'm, you know, therefore, I don't need to stay here. And so we just let the pain increase until they're ready. And that's exactly what the big book is instructing for the wives to do as well. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. All right, we'll move on to the next paragraph. And Esther, if you would read that for us. Good morning. My name is Esther. I'm a compulsive overeater in Canada. If you have a number three husband, you may be in luck. Being certain he wants to stop, you can go to him with this volume as joyfully as though you had struck oil. He may not share your enthusiasm, but he is practically sure to read the book, and he may go for the program at once. If he does not, you will probably not have long to wait. Again, you should not crowd him. Let him decide for himself. Cheerfully see him through more sprees. Talk about his condition or this book only when he raises the issue. In some cases, it may be better to let someone outside the family present the book. They can urge action without arousing hostility. If your husband is otherwise a normal individual, your chances are good at this stage. And so this is about husband number three. And if we remember back to page 110 and the description of husband number three, he is uh, one whose friends have slipped away, home is a near wreck, and cannot hold a position. So he's uh, obviously a lot worse off than husband number one and two. And some of what is written here seems counterintuitive. 
cheerfully see him through through more sprees. I mean that that would seem like something we wouldn't want to do. We would think that the right thing to do would be to to step in and take over and 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 beg him because at this point already so much of uh, his life has started to be destroyed. But again, as we it was mentioned in the previous paragraph, pain is the greatest motivator for these alcoholics, and ultimately, um, it's not going to be our crying or begging that's going to get them to see who you know who they are rather it's going to be the disease itself as the AA 12 and 12 has mentioned that John Barleycorn himself is our best advocate yes let him let's um cheerfully watch him through those sprees because um when he's going to have them that's when he's going to hopefully you know bring himself to a point of so much pain and desperation that he'll be ready you know to finally um seek the help he needs to seek or to have have a second look at the book that we've already that you know he's already had a look at um i like that last sentence if your husband is otherwise a normal individual your chances are good at this stage why are our chances good because uh, uh, generally speaking a, uh, a normal person who will be at that um place of desperation and pain uh, more pain than they can imagine will be finally ready to you know embrace a solution and um you know, having read the book, maybe he'll turn back to the book and say, you know what, there, there might be something there. Maybe there's something there for me. I think I'm ready now. I've had enough pain. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Esther. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, it's Rick. Go ahead, Rick. This is Robin. Rick and then Robin. Good morning. My name is Rick. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I love how all four of these categories of alcoholics or compulsive overeaters, the answer is going to be get that person a copy of the book. Get them involved in the book. And we see how this is work how this works in our meetings that we go to in this phone line we're on. Just look at the numbers that have swelled on this line because people have been told that there's a group of people that use this book as their set of directions for recovery from compulsive overeater, uh, compulsive overeating. And that's the message I see here. Even though they're directing wives who are not alcoholics to bring that book to their husband, bring that program, um, we can do the same thing. We can introduce the program of recovery as outlined in the big book to other compulsive overeaters that we know. And we can do it in a gentle way because we know that there is a little bit of resistance in OA to the big book. People don't, uh, quite often, don't want to look at it. They don't think it applies to, to overeating. Or perhaps they, they think um, for some reason it's not going to help. So we gently coax them into uh, picking up the book and reading uh, the program as it was originally written, not the way that we are presented uh, every day in an OA meeting. And in that way, we can introduce a compulsive overeater to the program that we've found works. And um, so I think it's, it's, it's interesting how four types of alcoholics and they're pounding the idea, get them the book, 
get the book to that person. Let the person get into the book. And uh, we know that that works. So I'll pass with that. Thank you, Rick. Go ahead, Robin. Thanks, Janice. This is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, Again, you should not crowd him. Let him decide for himself. Cheerfully see him through more sprees. You know, there's uh, when I'm reading this paragraph and in all of these paragraphs, I imagine there's quite an emotional connection between these two people. There's an emotional connection between me and somebody else who I'm dealing with in this kind of a situation. And this is why, for me, it's so important to be grounded and to be working my own program, to have my step process that I walk through, um, so that when I'm going into a situation where I'm talking to somebody who has some problems, who, um, let's see, you know, who, I mean, this this guy is, you know, by all, you know, the the way it looks to the outside world is that this guy should be ready. He should be ready. Why isn't he ready? I mean, how could you... How could you blink? How could you do that again? How could you let your family down? How could you, you know, all the things that we do that we don't want to do. Um, but obviously it's somebody who's not quite at the end of his of his rope. So for me, looking in, watching somebody else go through this process, I need to know that when I'm talking to somebody in a situation such as this, I'm doing it in a healthy way. Um, I'm not, I don't have any agenda other than to pass on this book, to pass on my program. I'm not trying to win a sponsee. I'm not trying to save a friend. I'm not trying to, um, you know, look like the best sponsor on earth with, you know, you know, sponsees who never slip. <laughs> this isn't about me. This is about the other person. And to be able to talk with this person cheerfully about what they're going through, not only does that... Um, show some recovery on my part, but it shows the other person, you know, I have hope for you. Um, you too have the ability to to recover with this program. Um, you know, there's when I came into the program, there was so much drama attached to everything I said and did. Everything was the end of the world. But the the process of this program is very hopeful. The process is faith-filled. The process is life-giving and and allows us to love other people the way we've never been able to love before, or at least that's happened for me. And to have the faith in the process, instead of thinking that I need to be in charge of how it unfolds for somebody else, um, is is really huge in my life. You know, as a codependent that goes way, way back to childhood. You know, so um, I, I think it's really important for me to have the faith in this program and the faith in this book that it can do a job that I can't do. So to um, to make sure that I'm grounded, to make sure that I'm working my steps, that I'm um, doing a four through nine, that I'm looking at my character defects, talking to somebody else about them, um, apologizing when I need to, but just letting the other person have their process in a cheerful way. Um, there's a there's a big difference between that and biting my tongue constantly or, you know, holding on, by my nails at whatever sanity I might have, you know, because I, um, I'm i trying to stay out of this person's life. But to see that they get their process too, that's really huge. So thanks for allowing me to share. I'll pass. Thank you, Robin. 
Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning again, everyone. This is so, it's joyful as it says. It's being certain he wants to stop. You can go to him with this volume as joyfully as though he had struck oil. I mean, that's an amazing statement that they're making. So let's look again. What is, what is husband number three? What is his circumstances? I'm going back to 110. It says he admits he cannot drink with other people, but he doesn't see why. He clings to the notion he will yet find a way to do so. He may have come to the point where he desperately wants to stop but cannot. So now the wife is saying, being certain he wants to stop, you can go to him with this volume as joyfully as though you struck oil. You know, cheerfully see him through more sprees. And when I hear that, I think about, you know, it's, it's the food that is going to convince us that we're powerless. It's not frothy emotional appeal. It's the food. So she's saying, let him go through the sprees. Let the food do its work. You know, I remember my mother telling me, whose father's alcoholic, she used to get woken up at 2 o'clock in the morning, her and her sisters, so they could go out and get Daddy out of the bushes and bring him into the house and put him in a nice warm bed. So he never had consequences. He'd wake up every morning in a nice warm bed instead of in the bushes. And how often we do that as compulsive overeaters? You know, we cancel on family events, and then our spouses and our family members make excuses for us. So I just said and say, you know what? If you're going to cancel, I'm going to tell people they have to call you. If our kids are upset because you can't go to baseball games and you can't participate in their after-school activities because eating is too important to you, I'm not making excuses for you anymore. Go ahead. Do what you want to do. But you are going to handle the consequences. So you can cheerfully go through those sprees because as you let those consequences become more and more dire, that person is going to have to handle those consequences themselves. Because now you are letting the food do what it's supposed to do. You're not shielding them. You're not saying, well, you know, I'll make excuses. It's okay. I'll let everyone know. I won't let anybody know that the dress doesn't fit. And that's why you're not going to the wedding. I won't let our kids know you're afraid to go on the bleachers because you might break them. I'll just say that you had extra work to do. So that's what they can do. They can cheerfully see them through more sprees because they understand that food is doing its job. The food is doing its job. And just to end, in some cases, it may be better to let someone outside the family present the book. They can earn action without arousing hostility. So once again, we don't have to attack them. Someone else, we have a place where we can send them, and we're not going to arouse hostility because it's not us giving frothy emotional appeal. We're giving them access to someone who is properly armed about the facts about themselves and can reach that compulsive overeater in a way that we as a family member cannot. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Was that Paula that I heard? That was Paula. (laughs) Go ahead, Paula. (laughs) Thank you. Paula, recovered compulsive overeater. You know, I'm I'm just going to scoot right on down to that line. Kim did, and and everyone, such such a wonder. Every place you are, this book will meet it. But this part here, and, and here it is, um, in some cases it may be better to let someone outside the family present this book. Well, she, I who love him best, I who am the closest, there you go. There you go. The reasons you think would be the most important are the ones that may detain 
his steps to recovery. Because as was said, we hold them up. We try to hold them up. Here we let them go totally. Because it then it says, what does it say, though? With hope, though. Oh, wait a minute. Kick them to the side. No, no. Perhaps they can urge action without a rise in hostility. I don't know about anybody else, but I know when a stranger or someone maybe not so close would tell me something, I would listen closely. I would listen closely. Now, the one that I lived with, oh, no, I would not. Was the advice the same? Were the answers, the questions, the answers the same? Yes. But for some reason, someone else, especially especially another one that has walked this path and understands uh, there. So, you know, you can take a step aside knowing it ends with, otherwise a normal individual, your chances are good at this stage. Hey, take your chances, girl. Thank you very much for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. And now we'll move on to the next paragraph. And Penny C., if you would read that for us. Good morning, Penny C. here. Janice, remind me what paragraph we're on right now. We're at the bottom of 113, you would suppose. Thank you very much. You Uh would suppose that men in the fourth classification would be quite hopeless, but that is not so. Many of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous were like that. Everybody had given them up. Defeat seemed certain, yet often such men had spectacular and powerful recoveries. What I want to say about um, what we've been reading in, in, in this paragraph in particular, that, well, first, we, we know it says in the preface that, um, that um, seemingly hopeless, seemingly hopeless, so that um, nobody, no, no alcoholic, no compulsive odor, overeater is really hopeless and that there is, there is a solution if they were willing to take up the spiritual uh, road. So that this, these, these um, paragraphs we've been reading, this chapter, gives me a route to give people who indeed call me and say, you know, I've got a sister, a daughter, a, a loved one, a husband who's a compulsive overeater, and please tell me how to approach him. Could you call him? And this this chapter, even when the person is seemingly hopeless, that that's in question, this chapter is the perfect solution to be able to say, pick up that big book, and maybe we could even read it and discuss it together, because the directions are all here, and um, I've read this many, many times, and this time going through it with a vision for you, it's talking more and more clearly and loudly to me about just what to do for the wife or the family member who is concerned about their loved one and their compulsive overeating. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Press star one to unmute. It's Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. 
You would suppose that men in the fourth classification would be quite hopeless, but that is not so. I mean, obviously, the text has taken us through the progression of the disease, um, through its four stages uh, that it's, uh, I, you know, described here. I mean, things were not looking good, you know, in uh, phase number three where uh, the alcoholic's friend slipped away, his home was a near wreck, he can't hold a position, the doctor's been called in, uh, there's been a round perhaps of sanitariums and asylums and hospitals. Uh, you know, now we're talking about uh, the alcoholic who's in the fourth classification, things have gotten worse, hot the you know hell has gotten hotter the vice has gotten tighter um you know sometimes he drinks on the way home from the hospital uh nonetheless you know it said earlier a page back that this picture may not be as dark as it looks how can the text be saying that i mean that that sounds very dark to me does it not uh it sounds very dark to me uh, it sounds like uh, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization to me. But you know what? Everyone who ends up staying here has one of those kind of moments, you know, because uh, it, it's, from, it's from those painful places that, uh, you know, that new life is born. You know, there's beauty from the ashes. It says you would suppose that men in the force fourth classification would be quite hopeless, but that is not so. Many of Alcoholics Anonymous were like that. I mean, this book is penned by those who are recovered, and these were the last gaspers. I mean, these were men that lost everything. They were in the gutters. They had lost their family. They had lost their positions. You know, they had chased everybody away. People for sure thought they should just be locked up until, you know, till their last day. Um, and yet they were recovered. They recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and that's exactly what the solution allows to occur. You know, I, I knew I was a compulsive overeater since I was a kid. Uh, I knew something was not right with me, but I had no idea what I was up against, and I did not understand the depths to which this disease would take me, and I did not know how hot hell would become. I didn't see the writing on the wall. I went down fast, and against all odds, I was supposed to self-destruct, just like these men and women who pen these pages. But the beauty of this thing is that on the one side, I had two decades of mayhem in this chronic progressive disease of compulsive overeating, and on the other stood living proof of people who had recovered from this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So, you know, the book, <laughs> the book is designed to bring about an experience, a spiritual awakening, a psychic change, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery where God can restore me to sanity, where he can bring me back to soundness of mind, relieve me of the obsession, allow us to walk this earth as free men and women. That is what the program of recovery promises, and that is the message of hope and salvation that this text is describing in this paragraph. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Well, this, this is Katie, Katie, and I am. Go ahead, Katie. Hi, I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater, and 
uh, you would suppose that men in fourth in the fourth classification would be quite hopeless. You know, this was written 70 years ago, and now, um, you know, and there wasn't decades of program out there. I think what we find in our rooms is people who have been in these rooms. Maybe they started out in these rooms at uh, stage one, and in the rooms they turned into stage four. And I'm one of those people. When I came in, I needed to lose 10 pounds. By the time I got asked, I needed to lose 70. And, you know, you may uh, think that you're completely hopeless because you sat in these rooms, you've heard this stuff over and over again, and you are hopeless. But what this is saying is that often such men have spectacular and powerful recoveries. There is no such thing as hopeless. And yes, maybe your family members have given up on you. You may be scratching your head wondering, how come, you know, my uh, mom doesn't care about me anymore? How come she's not asking me about my, my uh, eating problem? Well, maybe they've gone to Al-Anon and they've moved on and they're recovering. Who knows? All I know is what this is saying is that there is no such thing as hopeless. And if you've been sitting in these rooms, you've been on this line for six months or six days after being in the room for six years, and you still can't get abstinent, you can't seem to get it, well, this is saying there's no such thing as can't get it, that recovery may be in your near future. Just hold on. That'll pass. Thank you, Katie. This is Janice, and I'm a compulsive overeater. You know, I, two things I have written in the in the margins of my book. It is darkest before the dawn, and the lowest ebb is the turn of the tide. You know, and I, I never want to forget, it's darkest right before the dawn. You know, and the lowest ebb is the turn of the tide. Just when you think things are most hopeless, just when you think it just can't get any worse, there's hope, it says. There's hope. And we're reminded here in the big book that these women, they're talking to the wives here, these women, they're already getting some help because they've already read the book themselves. They've read the book themselves because it makes references to talking to your husband about this book. And you're talking to him about it because you've read it yourself. So what hope we've already given to the family, to the wife of the alcoholic, who now knows that her husband suffers from an illness, which only a spiritual experience will conquer, but that it is an illness. And just like I needed to learn that I had an allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, so we're saying to these wives, and they're already talking to other people about what's going on because they're talking, maybe they have the book presented by someone else. Maybe they're talking to someone else who's guiding them already. Maybe they have some other alcoholics now that they're able to talk to about the information they found out about their loved one. You know, what a great place of hope that is that even though they themselves must watch, because the watcher has a very difficult job, but they now know that there's hope. 
and they can offer this book when they can and in the right circumstances because now they know what the solution is. Now they know what the solution is. And I tell you, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing that we hand out to this wife, to this family member of the alcoholic. That many uh, Alcoholics Anonymous were like that. They looked hopeless. They looked like nothing could be done for them. But we reassure them, such men often had spectacular and powerful recoveries. So we're asking them to look at the hope in this situation, to hang on even when things look bleak because it is often darkest before the dawn. And with that, I'll pass. Um, We'll move on to the next paragraph on the top of page 114. And Katie, if you would read that for us. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, This is Katie. Hi, Katie. Okay. There are exceptions. Some men have been so impaired by alcohol that they cannot stop. Sometimes there are cases where alcoholism is complicated by other disorders. A good doctor or psychiatrist can tell you whether those complications are serious. In any event, try to have your husband read this book. His reaction may be one of enthusiasm. If he is already committed to an institution that can convince you and your doctor that he means business, give him a chance to try our method. Unless the doctor thinks his mental condition too abnormal or dangerous. We make this recommendation with some confidence. For years, we have been working with alcoholics committed to institutions. Since this book was first published, AA has released thousands of alcoholics from asylums and hospitals of every kind. The majority have never returned. The power of God goes deep. And, um, you know, (laughs) that's a powerful paragraph. It basically says what I just said, that there's no such thing as hopeless. That even if you're, you know, (laughs) for the alcoholic, your liver is failing. I mean, there are people in these rooms that came in here, you know, diabetics uh, in in congestive heart failure in, uh, you know, high blood pressure, and all of those numbers have turned around um, because they they recovered. And, you know, we're not doctors, we're not psychiatrists, but we do know that God is bigger than all of that, that we don't write the future for someone else, and so we don't have to write someone off. Um, we can give them this book and have the confidence that it works. It works for me, and it'll work for them. And that'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula Miyashia. Go ahead, Paula. Well, I'm going to scoot down to that last line. Since this book was first published, AA has released that word, released. What have we been released from here? It is thousands of alcoholics from asylums and hospitals of every kind. We've been released from jail cells. And I mean to say the jail that that, it, that has no bars and yet it holds you tighter then. And it says the majority have never returned. 
Now, that's the majority, not the minority. We've only seen the minority. But here, the majority. But why the majority here? Because it says clearly, the power of God goes deep. With that knowledge, and only with that knowledge, and leaning on that, totally. Because this is a disease that goes to the very depth of you. You need to understand where it goes. And why we need the power of God and only the power of God can go deeper still. And there, finally, released to to be released to finally live the life that we were intended, free of this disease, taking us down at every turn. And now, not only do we have the opportunity, it brings us up and we can come alongside others. Thank you very much for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Well, we'll close the meeting here today, and um, I will ask Robin to please read a vision for you for us on page 164. Yep, I'm here. Just a sec. A vision for you. Um, Starting with our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes. Okay, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.